Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. 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 Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 108 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. And I promise this is the last time I will make this joke, but if this were, if 108 were your temperature, you'd be dead. But if you're not dead today, because we're here to talk about the exciting life of popular music in America, great, you guys. Can you tell I'm making this up? Awesome. I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship, and with me, as always, is the splendiferous Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Uh uh, hello, Mark. Uh, I am I am always uh, interested to see what um, more than a dozen letter synonym for uh, rad uh, will be used to describe me. Uh, hard to say which one we would use to describe our guest today. We are thrilled to welcome the grand poobah behind uh, such podcasts as Crime Writers On and These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Laura. Hey, Toby. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Old habits die hard. Um, uh, oh, yes. Yes. Kevin Flynn uh, is going to... Well, Kevin Flynn decided that we should talk about an Elvis Costello song, and uh, the three of us sort of fine-tuned this directive so that we would be discussing the original Watching the Detectives and also the Duran Duran cover version uh kevin what made you want to talk about elvis costello generally and this song specifically well i found that after receiving sort of a general invitation to come on your podcast that i had the unfortunate discourtesy of not liking the same music that you do so (laughs) how dare you So, yeah, Elvis is, is probably, probably not. he is my favorite artist, and he uh, has flirted a bit with some top 40 hits, although he has, you know, remained, I put him sort of in the category of New Wave's Neil Diamond or, uh, you know, somebody who has been sort of on the cultish outskirts that the folks that really like him, really like him, um, and m- maybe has not had the biggest following as as some of his contemporaries. I mean, when he was coming on the scene, people really thought he was going to be the English Bruce Springsteen, mm. and, uh, you know, he was certainly marketed that way until he sort of self-torpedoed his pop career with uh, One Drunken Night in Columbus, Ohio, uh, where he dropped the N-bomb in a, uh, in a drunken barroom fight. Uh, and uh, he did. He did. Oh it was. It was. His band was staying in the same hotel. He somehow found himself in the same hotel as uh, uh, Stephen Stills, and uh, some f- female singer, Bonnie. Somebody. Her name. It wasn't Bonnie Raitt, but uh, somebody like that. And uh, he was trying to pick an argument with them, and uh, under the influence of amphetamines and alcohol. Uh, he he thought that he could pick a fight by uh, calling James Brown a jive ass n-word and then uh, Ray Charles a blind ignorant n-word and that started the fight and although you know this was a guy who had just been you know at the Rock for Racism concert and just spent his whole career 
recording with black artists and and the influence of black artists this like really um you know regretful incident uh really you know torpedoed his career as a as a popular artist and he'd been trying to he's been trying to make um, a, amends for it for the the rest of his career when did this happen because this I... happened in yeah this happened 1970. Eight seventy nine. Oh my God! Wow. So that's you know. I have back. to say, I never. Heard, I have never heard about this before. But holy, holy cats! Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, I think if you Google, you start typing in Elvis Costello, and they start giving you like, um, you, you know, uh, suggestions for the third word. Racist comes up quite a bit. Oh, um, wow. And I think it's unfortunate. I mean, without getting too deep into race relations. Uh, you know, I, I I think it's unfortunate because I really don't see that you know that demonstrated in in his uh, his his professional or personal life before or after. Um, but uh, you know, I, the saddest thing I read in his biography is he said that when he meets somebody new, this is the first thing he wonders: do do they know that this happened to me? And um, uh, so. It uh, it really changed, you know, the course of his career, and he never achieved that sort of top forty status. He had a couple of top forty hits. He had "Every Day I Write the Book." He had a duet with Daryl Hall called um, uh, "The Only Flame in Town," and then he had Veronica uh, off of his Spike album that he co-wrote with Paul McCartney. But that that was about it. And so he, you know, kind of in the in the the area of you know folks like. Uh, um, uh, Joe Jackson, um, you know, other folks that are, are uh, hailed as being great songwriters, singer-songwriters, but just not, um, you know, pop sensations. You know, he, he's got a lot of great songs. You just can't dance to any of them. Right. Right. Well, and that's particularly, I don't know what the word is, apropos, let's go with, uh, given what I think is a clear reggae influence on watching The Detectives, so... Anyway, uh, now seems like a good time to hear a clip, so let's listen to a clip of the original Watching the Detectives, and then we'll discuss uh, not the N-word, I guess. So, Kevin, tell us a little bit about why you picked that specific clip uh, in terms of, like, what it shows about the song. Like, wh- how does it showcase the song and what you like about it? Well, what I, I like about the, the second verse there is that it's probably um, the most literal to this the story arc that he's telling in, um, in the song, which is, you know, actually it's very, it's very little, literal in a sense. It's about a guy who's sitting on the couch with his girl, and he wants to get it in, 
but she wants to watch television instead. So it has a lot of imagery of what she's watching, you know, about these, um, uh, <laughs> you know, scenes from a detective movie, you know, uh, the, the science says we never close. If you remember from like 1930s and 40s uh, movies, you know, they'd have the giant, the giant eye, the private eye. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And the, you know, underneath it would say we never close. Um, you know, uh, different, uh, you know, scenes of her indifference, you know, the lines is she's filing her nails while they're dragging the lake. She's, you know, she's watching all this murder and mayhem and just kind of very casually watching this. Meantime, you know, he really wants to get it on with her. And part of what, you know, you're right, it's got that, you know, that 70s reggae musical influence that everybody was picking up on, Paul Simon and the Clash. Billy Joel. Right. This is greatly influenced by The Clash and um, uh, by that reggae, uh, that reggae feel that was um, being appropriated by a lot of, uh, a lot of artists at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that Elvis Costello does uh, throughout his career and has demonstrated here is he's very good at when talking about relationships, about getting into this really sticky gray area between, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I hate your guts. And it's about sort of the awkwardness of, of the way people are uh, not good communicators, don't understand how to relate to one another, mm. fumble with each other. And, you know, we're still just a couple of years away from – uh, you know, back to, you know, just love me do and not being able to say, uh, let's spend the night together on TV. Uh, you know, so this is this, I think, is a really good demonstration of his songwriting skill and uh, a demonstration of what we're going to see for the forward in the rest of his career. Somebody who's who's good at wordplay, um, actually pretty good at a melody and uh, putting together, uh, you know, a strong song altogether. This was his first top 40 hit. Uh, but you know, again, it it it, uh, it sort of stands alone from what was considered punk and new wave. Although he's he's coming out of that same field. Now, well, one I... thing I'd love to ask you about, Kevin, is uh, the storytelling aspect of this song is so engaging to me. Uh, I will admit it's not a song that I knew until you brought it to our attention. But that's why I like this podcast. Uh, and I really was taken with how much he was able to accomplish narratively with so few minutes of narrative time and i wonder if you could talk to me about the verse that comes after the one that we just heard where it it seems to me like he's starting to then conflate his relationship to this woman with the things that he's watching on tv and he starts inserting both of them into his own noir fantasy but i wonder if that's how you interpret the the third verse of the song yeah, I kind of see it going one of two ways, and I think it's a great thing about all music is you can interpret what you want from lyrics and and whatnot. And it's either, as you say, yeah, he has sort of, I don't want to say gone mad, but he's he's uh, at this uh, very frustrated part where, you know, uh, she is intent on chastity uh, while um, viewing her TV show, and it, he's building, building, building. And the, and the verse kind of revs up, um, in the you know he, he's sort of ru- he ends up sort of rushing through the lyrics and he's he, you know there are, are are lines sort of sung on top of lines in the recording process, yeah and so it builds to uh, the line where the final line says you know it nearly took a miracle to get you to stay meaning he'd been begging 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 and then it only took my little fingers to blow you away now it's it's you know evocative of uh, 
detective shooting somebody, like at the at the climax of the uh, the movie, but it's also indicative of a climax mm-hmm. um, on the couch. Uh, but I also, you know, there's sort of a, a feel too, like maybe uh, there is they've gotten so creeped out that it feels like there's somebody watching them at the window, and uh, you know, you know, I, I want to say Sting is there with his. Uh, <laughs> his monster from the the lock, but uh, you know, again, I think it's it's just very vivid, and you know, I think that's what attracts certain kind of music fans to Elvis Costello is that you really can get wrapped up in uh, in the lyrics. There's always sort of like one throwaway thing. You're like, what the hell was that one about? But um, right, it, it just it just sort of tells, I think, a really interesting story with uh, you know, with some language that is connected uh, to the relationship and to the the literal story underneath. Mm. Well, and I have to I have to say that until I was uh, researching the song um, to to talk about it today, I think I thought that she was watching actual detectives and not a detective movie mm-hmm. or like a detective TV show, and that. Um, there's this that also adds a cool layer like it it still works but if you think about like the ways that uh love can curdle into extreme hatred sort of what you were saying before um about the themes that preoccupy elvis costello and then the fact that you know this relationship is sort of this not crime scene but that it's like just getting ugly and messy like a crime scene would and like you know misunderstandings lead to murder and whatnot but i was sort of taken by the fact that oh like she's watching tv and ignoring him when he wants to fuck but like it it still works if she's like um nosily looking out the window like into her apartment building's courtyard or whatever and looking at them stringing crime scene tape and he's like can you focus on this relationship she's like no no no, somebody got killed outside i think it's still i think it still works if you if you misunderstand the story that way no i think that's oh sorry i just really uh i want to echo sarah's sentiment there that to me when i first listened to the song uh i didn't even i wasn't reading along with the lyrics or anything i just closed my eyes and listened to the song and I actually thought it was a story about like a prostitute who was like watching detectives kill her gangster boyfriend because there's a whole thing about the red dogs under the illegal X in that opening verse and I was like oh so it's okay so I then had this mental image of of the illegal X being like that triple X like flashing I don't know it again it doesn't make literal sense what I thought, but I actually think that is to the song's credit and to yeah. his credit as a storyteller that there kind of is no wrong way to interpret the the bouncy dread that he is creating here. And I do think it takes a very deft hand to make me want to fill in the blanks in a way. So, Kevin, I don't know if that is an experience that you have had with him. Yes. I, you, you've touched on that a little bit, but I don't know if that resonates with you. Yeah. Now, I'll just point out one thing. I think that the lyric that you saw was written incorrectly, and I because I've seen that. Mm. And they write out the red dogs under illegal X, and then the next line is she looks so good that he gets down and begs. Mm. So I believe that the lyric is red dogs under illegal legs. Oh. And a dog is a slang, an English slang word for shoes. 
Oh. So if you think of like hot red pumps and, you know, if, think about the opening scene where Sam Spade would be in, you know, his office and some dame walks in. Yes. Yeah, cigarette. they pan up along the seams of her stockings. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he probably used Red Dogs because he already had a song on that album called Red Shoes. Right. And there's only so many times you could go back to that. I mean, they're not, it's not like Wang Chung where you can like, <laughs> keep throwing the, the thing in there. Uh, but, yeah, I think, right, I, I think you know, uh, the way I liked to listen to a new album of Elvis Costello was to not look at the liner notes with the lyrics and just listen to it and listen to it and be su- surprised by the wordplay, you know, uh, funny um, uh, uh, rhyming schemes or whatever, and also kind of come up with, uh, you know, what is this this story Um and I will say, yeah, for a long time, I did not sort of pick up on this very. Yeah, no, it's actually very literal. That um, it's about the, you know the about a couple um, you know not connecting uh, while one of them's watching TV. Uh, right. Because you're right. There there is also the imagery is so really good that you can sort of interpret something else having to do with crime and uh, being an observer of that uh, in the the opening you know that opening guitar lick. Which is just it's a C major, just A B D A B C D. It's very James Bond. If you think about you know like the the Bond theme when they finally bring in like the electric guitar. Um, yes. You know again, I think he's really trying to play up as much of the color as possible. And yeah, I, I think unlike you know uh, like Phil Collins, I mean, well, you know, Phil Collins in the air tonight. God knows what that's really about. I think it's just. You know, he just went on a, a a word dump, scribbled something down, and said, "Good enough. Let's not come back to this." Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think you can come up with different interpretations that are all good interpretations. Yeah, and you know, although I have to say, hearing you now clarify red dogs under illegal legs and i realized i shouldn't have accepted the first google result that i got when i looked up those lyrics <laughs> well and, you and can, that's on me you that's can actually me. hear that a little better in the duran duran version so why don't we hear a clip of that before we uh before we continue yes. long shot of that jumping sign Visible shivers running down my spine. Got the baby taking off her clothes. Close up with a sign that says we never close. You snatch a tune, you match a cigarette. She pulls the eyes out with the face like a magnet. I don't know how much more of this I can take. Oh, she's filing her nails while they're dragging the lane. All right, here's a little background on uh, here's a little background on Duran Duran's version of this. This comes from their uh, 1995, I think, album somewhere in there. It was called Thank You. It was all covers. It's widely regarded as one of the biggest fiascos in pop music history. <laughs> I uh, knew that and made sure to keep that CD like hidden in the stack, like with the, the spine facing the wall. But uh, was it a mistake for them to cover 911 is a joke? Yes. Are all of these <laughs> covers good? No. Uh, will you be able to live without their version of White Lines? No. Is their version of Lay Lady Lay sexy? Yes, it is. 
is this a legit like addition to the conversation about the story and watching the detectives? I think it is. And here's why Elvis Costello can be, I think, um, not like dry exactly, but I think there is an intellectual approach to this story and I think the Duran Duran approach is a little more visceral and sexy, as you can hear from the <laughs> poor Simon LeBond's blue balls <laughs> in the clip we just heard. Uh, I think that it's a an interesting, pretty 90s, but still interesting take. It has good guitar. Was it necessary? I don't know. But I this is the first version of the song that I heard, so... I you know, like if it. If there's one thing I know that Duran Duran is known for, it's their musical interpretations. And uh, and I'm saying that with tongue firmly in cheek. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, I was about and, to and, say, like, are they? Oh. No. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, they're certainly, certainly I mean, now they are, band. and not now in a they good are. way. Not in a good way. Right, and certainly during their 90s washout comeback, that that was certainly the time when they want to uh, – stretch themselves um yeah it's it's uh <laughs> it's different for me to hear it because obviously i'm i'm very accustomed to hearing the original um it doesn't have the same bounce uh that uh you know the original reggae kind of arrangement does uh but this sort of has yeah certainly a more sinister kind of arrangement um and you know the way it's Sung breathlessly. That is, that's not Simon LeBon on on lead, right? Is that's one of the Taylors, right? Uh, oh no, I think that's I think that's your boy Simon. Yeah, I, that's I uh, like that's LeBon. This is the harmony during the 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 chorus. Certainly, you could he he breaks through. But if that's him going down in his lower register, it's well again a a great musical stretch for uh, Duran Duran. I'm surprised that the uh, um, the Academy did not recognize this. Um, at the uh, at the Emmy Awards that year, uh, well, they they tried something and or the Grammy it failed. Again. It tried something and failed, right? Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's different, and every interpretation is uh, worthy of you know consideration. I think it has its good points and its bad points. I think if it's looking for to try to achieve the sort of theme of uh, desperation and despair and, and ominous. Uh, Ominous signs that you can get from the original. I think they put that in there very well. You know, it, it, can you snap your fingers and tap your f- foot to it? I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. Well, I think they also get a good, like if you think about sort of the, you know, what would happen in like the sequel to this song. Because in addition to like she is watching stories about murder and mayhem, and he wants to have sex, right? Mm-hmm. So you can certainly see um in this times up era that a future a future chapter might be that he killed her because he was denied sex like these things are like happening parallel to each other but they could also cross over lethally and that sort of not at the top of my mind while listening to it but it's present and i think that this arrangement of the song taps more into uh, you know the role of detectives in uh, you know when do the detectives come in when a man has been denied sex 
you know, more frequently than than you'd like. So yeah, I guess the to way bring that... the whole room down. <laughs> Mark, say something funny. Uh, jeez. Uh, wait, no. <laughs> there it is. Uh, the, the, the way that I would describe my response to the two versions is as follows. I feel like that it's kind of in line with what you're saying, Sarah. When I'm listening to the Elvis Costello version, I feel like I'm listening to a narrator who is thinking about but would never actually do some of the things he's describing. Right. Then I feel like with the Duran Duran version, I feel like I'm listening to a narrator who hasn't really thought through the consequences of his actions and might do something that's going to fuck everything up for a lot of people. And I think that the fact that the song contains both energies at once and one artist is exploring one half of them, one half of those energies and the other artist is exploring the other, to me, is just, again, a testament to the song. And I can absolutely, for me, see the time that I would be in the mood for either version. But unlike you, Kevin, this is... This was me just learning about the song. I learned simultaneously about both versions. So to me, there is no like, I was just like, oh, interesting. And I actually was really glad I didn't know that this Duran Duran album was supposed to be one of the worst albums ever made because I actually listened to some other songs on this album and I liked them. So it was funny to find out that I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> but You got to love what you love, Mark. You thank know? you. I mean, I like the Josie and the Pussycats movie, and I think I'm the only one who does. Exactly. And you know what? That's right. We have to stand strong. And, uh, oh, I can remember remember that there were – I read some – oh, gosh. Oh, I read one of the Sue Grafton novels when I was in high school and was, like, happily chatting about it with one of my erudite theater friends, and she was like – you read those? And I was like, <laughs> yes. Was that bad? Everyone so, yes. does. That's yeah. why we know who she is. Um, See, listening, being exposed to both versions of these songs at the same time, I think is almost as bad as like being exposed to uh, Don McLean's American Pie the same time as hearing the Madonna cover version of it. And, you know, I think it, <laughs> to me it's like that did not need to be made. I, I mean, look, I love Madonna, but I agree. It's a bad song. <laughs> okay. now, I really wish you guys had dug down this deep when you were doing Stacy's Mom. I just. <laughs> well, you know what? Here's the thing. I am looking anxiously forward to uh, Tom Waits' cover of Stacy's Mom. And when it finally <laughs> arrives, we will consider that a blessed day. Yeah. I want to say, I actually, in preparing for this, was reminded that I met Elvis Costello once, and I'd like to tell that story. All right. It's your podcast, man. Whatever. Elvis Costello briefly had a show on the Sundance channel Mm -hmm. called Spectacle. Kevin, I don't know if you saw this. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember the episode with Elton John in it? Yes, I do. Okay. So that was 2008 when Elton John was also on Broadway with his musical adaptation of Billy Elliot. And I wrote the New York Times feature about Billy Elliot. So I got to interview Elton John, among other people. And we had a really lovely conversation on the phone. And then he said, oh, you should come to this taping I'm doing tomorrow. And we can talk afterward about the show a little bit more. So then I went to this taping, not really knowing what it was going to be. And it ended up being this episode of Spectacle with Elton John and Elvis Costello. So I got to be in the audience for that. It was really great. I remember very clearly that Elton John saying sorry seems to be the hardest word and sounded incredible. 
Mm-hmm. And then I went backstage after. And this was not a, this is not when the show was being taped at the Apollo. This was like in the it, I think it was like at uh, Rockefeller. Yes, center one of the studios there. It was definitely at Rockefeller Center somewhere. Yeah, I can't remember. It's been so long. I can't remember exactly where. But uh, then we went back. I went backstage after, and I had this like while Elton John was doing whatever he needed to do. I ended up talking to Elvis Costello for like five minutes. We were just talking about like the 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 dramaturgical power of certain Elton John songs, and it was just like a lovely conversation that we had where we got enthusiastically geeky about analyzing Elton John's songwriting, and it was really really nice. Well, you have to have him on now, uh, so you could talk about Elton John songs. I, there you go. Hey, hey, Elvis Costello, do you remember ten years ago when you were? <laughs> you remember me, right? Right. Yeah. But no. It was- interestingly, hey, he, he uh, in a later season uh, of uh, Spectacle, uh, he did uh, uh, he did watching the detectives as a matchup mashup with the police. Uh, after their t- he opened for the police on their last tour, the mm. final tour, and so they came on the show at some point and he interviewed each of the you know sting and and uh, Stuart copeland I mean, you did them all separately and at the end both bands came out and they the police did walking on the moon and his, oh, they did watching smart. the detectives and then sort of did like a musical crossover and you hear like again you know this uh this ska reggae kind of influence that was uh you know, oozing into a lot of these mid to late '70s songs, and uh, yeah, they really sort of have sort of the same tempo and that same kind of right. right. kind of uh, uh, beat to them. That would be. So that's to bring it all back around to to the to the you know full circle here. No, it's like it is. It's a beautiful orb now. Well, yeah, Kevin, now I'm sort of trying to think of whether I can just cut up watching the detectives and uh, Man in a Suitcase, and have it be watching. <laughs> watching the, the suitcase, suitcase. <laughs> watching all the suit that i would listen yeah well kevin this was such a fantastic conversation thank you for bringing an artist to the table that i don't know that i would have ever brought myself that's i feel like my mind and world have both been expanded in a positive way well i'm great i'm, I'm so glad i could expose you to rock and roll's reigning crossword champion <laughs> <laughs> And I'm so glad that I could uh, intrude on those proceedings with um, rock and roll, one of rock and roll's greatest fiascos. Oh, listen, <laughs> to get a little Duran in there, too. And honestly, listeners, you may have noticed this is now two consecutive episodes where Duran Duran has come up. Accidents? I don't believe in them. <laughs> uh, oh, and our... finally, let me add this. Listeners, uh, Sarah and I have both had the great good fortune of being on kevin's aforementioned law and order podcast and i do want to encourage you to go track it down kevin can you tell us again uh the name of your various podcasts yeah it's called uh, these are their stories the law and order podcast you can get it wherever you get your podcasts and uh, you could check it out online at lawandorderpodcast.com i just got my notice from squarespace and i realized we also have LawAndOrderPod.com. These oh. are their stories. Podcast.com. Everything that I get, apparently we could buy with the uh, you know the early upsell. <laughs> and uh, the Mothership podcast for us is uh, Crime Writers On, and uh, that's uh, every week. Uh, Rebecca, my wife and writing partner, and a panel of true crime and fiction crime authors talk about the latest in crime pop culture. And uh, I don't know who you know got it first, us or the Blotter Presents. 
the idea, but I think it's very much like uh, Elvis Costello and the police who came up with that drum riff first. <laughs> and I'll probably be the Duran, Duran in that conversation who's like, hey, guys, but then I just put a pop beat on it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Needs more Casio. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting. And it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.